This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the uh, book of John, chapter 15? Jesus, if you remember uh, last week, John 14, he is at the Last Supper. We participated in uh, communion, but there was a, a literal, the first Last Supper. So I guess it was the first supper, technically, Kelly, but it's a, the first Last Supper. The first chapters or verses of chapter 14 is all him sitting at the table talking about the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. And then at the end of chapter 14, the very last verse, he says, now let's get up and let's go. And he begins to talk to them about bearing fruit. Um, As we are getting ready to read, I'm just going to read the first uh, eight verses. But I want you to imagine the temple. So uh, this upper room in Jerusalem, they would have gone out uh, the, the gate, they would have gone down into the Kidron Valley. In fact, those of you going to Israel with me, I know I keep saying that every Sunday, you're going to see that as well, like where he, they get, went down and ascended up to the, uh, to, to the Garden of, of Gethsemane. So he's, this is like a walk and talk. So he went from, hey, we're sitting around the table talking to now we're walking and talking and hey, by the way. And one of the things they would have seen as they were doing the walk and talk was the temple, Herod's version of it. And on the outside of Herod's temple was a massive golden vine with grapes on it that was speaking of of the prophecies of Isaiah and Amos that Israel is the vine, right? They, They are the vine with the grapes on it. Grapes and wine go back all the way to Noah. The first thing Noah did when he got out of the boat was plant a vine, plant a vineyard. Like that's how far back it goes. And so with that in mind, a full moon, by the way, because it would have been Passover, so it would have been a full moon, would have made that little gold vine glisten. And here's what Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. In verse two, he cuts off every branch. If you're an underliner, underline cuts off, because we're going to come back to that. In me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. And if you are an underliner, you can underline that so that it will be even more fruitful. You, alre- you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we approach your word tonight with an expectation, with hope. We, uh, Lord, we just want to get everything that you have from, from you in us tonight. It's our hope and our prayer, Lord, that as we approach your word, not as an academic exercise, but as a Holy Spirit encounter, that you will speak to each of us through your word individually. Thank you for that, Lord. And I pray for our brothers and sisters, the the other churches in our community, thinking of 
the guys at Five Stones with Pastor Sean and the amazing stuff you're doing right there in downtown Franklin and for the folks at Generations Church with Pastor Craig and Lysander, Lord, bless that church. You put them right in the middle of downtown Franklin at a place where Franklin is, uh, there's a battle for Franklin. Thank you for more churches in Franklin, not less. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So bearing fruit is what this passage is about. To put it differently, it's about how do you change? Like how, what does the Bible say about how to change? Um, if you've been saved for a while or when you get saved, one of the first things you start to do is you start to make all kinds of changes because you think, okay, now I'm a Christian, so I got to do all these things, right? I'm saved by grace, not by works, but grace was the starting point, and now I got to get back to work. Now, you might not have thought that out loud, but that's certainly how a lot of our lives have, have played out. And the truth is, if you start white knuckling it like that and immediately going down that road of change, you might have found that it didn't last very long, like that it didn't quite take. Because, and here's, here's what I would like to proffer. Jesus in the word here is about to tell us what real transformational change is. Like he's talking about organic change that comes from the inside out, not mechanical change that comes from an external force from the outside in. Did, did you make, does that make sense? An organic change from the inside out, not a mechanical change that comes from an external force from the outside in. I'm, I'm going to give you a, uh, an example or two, because one of the reasons, one of the external forces that often brings change in our lives is fear. I've been married for 29 years, uh, most of them happy. I think I've had more happy years than Shanna did. We've, we figured that out in counseling, but... Um, we weren't 100% sure if she was paying like for the sins of her father's fathers, and so I was part of the punishment, and I'm willing to take one for the team. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but in, over the years, um, in a marriage, and I'm sure none of you have had this ever happen, so I'll just share my own story, and you probably won't relate at all to this. But there are moments where, in the marriage, where I'm finally going, I feel like something ain't right here in the room tonight. Like, I feel like there's a cold wind blowing through the living room. Like, there's the, why is the milk still cold? It's been sitting on the table. I've done something. <laughs> or multiple somethings. And as a guy, one of our tendencies is at that point is, is to, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll change. I promise, babe. I'll, I'll just do, I, don't, I can't live without you. I can't, especially, I've, I've, I've actually experienced this in sitting across the table and counseling from couples, and it's usually the guy, but sometimes the female as well. And they're saying something like, I, I can't live without him. I'll do whatever it takes to change so that he'll stay or she'll stay. Now, that will affect some change, but that is not about faith. That's about fear. I'm afraid I'm going to lose you, so an external force. And so the change, after she doesn't leave, after a while, nothing really changed on the inside, so the behavior begins to revert because fear didn't change anything. And eventually, the, the crazy train is on a circle track. So you come right back to where you started. You meet yourself at the station, and you do it all over again. That, that's why one form of change of fear from the outside, and if any time a moment you want to change just because I'm afraid, it doesn't hold. Now, there's another kind. Okay, that's fear. Another one is pride. Pride is I'm going to do, I'm going to be the best 
dad. I'm going to be the best father. I'm going to get everything right in my homeschooling. I'm going to make sure all the little stickers on the wall are there. And I'm going and, and to literally self-discipline myself into this, which is not about a change from the inside out, but again, outside in. And pride says that when I throw this up on Instagram, I'm going to look better than you. Again, nobody in this room. This is other people. Hear me say that. Nobody here. But here's what you've got to know. Pride and fear are probably two of the biggest sins that got you into the pickle that you're in to begin with. You can't use pride and fear to get you out of a problem that pride and fear got you into. And that's where Jesus goes back to. He's talking about a vine and grapes and and creating change, uh, bearing fruit from the inside out. That's why he talks about bearing fruit and not doing something really well. Like he could have used the example of your carpenter shop now and you're gonna you know, use your hammer and your nails. And you're gonna, that is all mechanical things to change. This is organic and the Holy Spirit inside. And what I want you to see is that in these few verses, the little roadmap will follow is that he starts with cleaning us. He moves to connecting us and ends with what he calls us. And that is the way that we change from the inside out. When I say cleaned, here's what I mean. I remember those two things I told you to underline at the very beginning. Uh, I'm, I'm going to share with you an interpretation of this that is, by the way, not new. Because here's what you know. If it's new, it's not true. One of the greatest tricks of theology is if it's new, it's not true. You hear some person on the TikTok that suddenly discovered that, wow, somehow for 2,000 years we missed this vital truth, but I have figured it out. That's not true. So what I'm about to share with you is shared by a few theologians. I'm not just making this up out of my neck, okay? But I also want you to know there's, a, there's two possible, and we're going to hit both of them, and here's what I've seen in it. Both could actually be true. Both don't only not take away from the gospel, both add to the gospel, so maybe they're both true. That's what I love to think. But I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off, right there, that word. So who has prunes in your translation there? Okay. Uh, there, there's diff- so I think, is that the King James or New King James? So the, the, the New King James would say, would say prunes there. But the word there, um, he cuts off every branch. The word is in the original Greek, uh, spoiler alert, the Bible was not written in English. I know, sorry, controversial. Uh, It was Greek, and in the Greek, that word for cuts off is the word airos, A-I-R-O-S. Airos means to lift up. When Jesus lifted up his head, (laughs) that's amazing, towards Jerusalem, he airosed his head. That, that's what the every, when you, and you could go to, go to blueletterbible.org right now, especially if you're bored, it'll give you something to do. But you can see that every other time it's used in the New Testament, so far as I could tell, it's always in terms of lifting up. Now, the second one I told you to underline is that uh, he prunes, which is towards the end of verse two, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. CJ, what does yours say? He cut, prunes. I think the original King James is he removes, or so, there's another word that they've used in it, but... but Removes, so, so I'm getting it backwards. But that's, so that's, the first one is iros. This word where it says prunes is actually a word called kathiros, where we get our word catharsis. 
And in fact, if you've got your, uh, my Bible has, if you've got a note Bible of mine at the very bottom, it actually says that that word also means cleans. Now, why does that matter? In ancient Israel, now if you've driven by the Arrington Vineyards, anybody been out by the Arrington? Anybody, anybody live around Nashville long enough to remember when they were building Arrington and thinking, no, who's going to drive all the way out here? Turns out everybody. Sorry about that, Tony and Lynn, who first College Grove OG out there, man. Now we're all moving out there and messing up the vibe. We all went out there thinking nobody's going to go out there, but they, uh, back in the day, and when they were planting the vineyards out there, in fact, uh, Shannon and I uh, were friends with Kip and Valerie Summers, who are co-founders of, uh, of Arrington. I was an agent with Valerie at William Morris Agency back in the day, and I was terrified of her as a female agent. She was tough. But they actually threw a planting party to go plant vines, uh, which I later learned was actually just a way to get free labor, but hey, what are you going to do? Um, but so some of those original vines were like planted by people like, like us knuckleheads that, you know, drove out there and helped them plant vines. Uh, so the Arrington Vineyards, uh, the vines out there, they're, they're growing along wires, right? You've seen how that works. The vines go on the wires. Now you understand wires were not invented necessarily uh, 2,000 years ago. So instead, the way that a vineyard there would grow is they would place rocks along the, uh, the ground and the vines would lay up on top of the, the stones, and the vines would grow over the stones, uh, and, and, and occasionally the, the rains would, would fall, the winds would blow, and the vines would blow off of the, the stones. And so the, the vine dresser, in this metaphor that's the father, would come along in part of his vine dressing to pick up, lift up the vines that had fallen in the dirt, put them back up on the, on the rock, and clean them. So when it says that he lifts up every branch, right? right when it says that he's lifting up those branches and that he is cleaning them, doesn't that sound like Jesus and the gospel? Because you're gonna fall in the dirt. You're gonna stumble. You're gonna fall off of the rock. The rain's gonna come. The wind's gonna blow. And he's not coming to lop you off with the chainsaw. He's coming to lift you up and clean you. Which is why it makes so much sense, the next verse that says that, verse three, that is why you, you are already clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. Do you see why that interpretation makes so much sense? And it, it, culturally, uh, contextually, it makes sense. Now, if it's wrong, I'll tell you in a minute what the other interpretation is. It's also very gospel-centered. But what I want you to see first is that for him to produce fruit in you and in me, we got to let him pick us up, the Father, and put us back on the foundation, the firm foundation that we sang about earlier, back on there. And we don't have to work our way on there. We don't have to stress our way out of it. We just get to hang out on the stone, on the rock, and let the fruit grow. And once we are cleaned, we are not working. Did I break it? Can you get the next one for me connected? I, if, apparently I broke it. I, I promise I didn't lick it. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, it's the storm. The lightning took it out, right? It's, it's going to space, man. Connected. We're clean, but a clean vine that is not connected doesn't produce 
fruit. I, uh, we have rose bushes in our backyard because I am quite the botanist. Is botanist the thing with plants? Lynn, is that it? I'm, or horticulture, like what is it with you do? I don't know, I'm a florist, let's just say it. <laughs> By the way, I never feel less masculine than when I'm out taking care of the rose bushes in our yard. <laughs> There's just something about, I gotta hand in my man card. And so occasionally, like when the, when the roses have grown, um, and by the way, you know, like I'm also very pragmatic and it turns out it's a whole lot cheaper to grow roses than to go buy them at Costco all the time. So I'll come hauling in the house with new roses for Shannon. But, uh, but, but here's the thing, when you've got rose bushes, uh, I will cut the roses, right? And I'll bring them into to Shannon, put them on the, you know, the little water and whatever thing. And you know what happens with them after a while? They die. They wither up and fall apart. And it's very, very simple math. They are no longer connected to the vine. And the thing about being disconnected from the vine, the, the results are not immediate. It takes a minute. It's why remaining in me while I remain in you is this ongoing thing because you can disconnect and it takes maybe even a few weeks, maybe a few months for you and you realize, man, what's, why do I feel this way? I feel different. I'm just, I'm dragging. I'm, and it's just simply because you've disconnected from the vine. It's just that simple that I've not remained in him. I was out there uh, yesterday again, like Edward Scissorhands, just snipping away. <laughs> Anybody know the Edward Scissorhands? Come on. Okay, like five. I'm trying to get more culturally relevant. I'm tired of asking if you've seen something and like nobody raises your hand. I'm like, man, I really was a weird kid and now I'm a weird adult. Like nobody watches any. But I'm out there doing that because there are, and this is, by the way, the, the other possible interpretation of clipping, right? When you've got roses that are dying, when the leaves are falling off, it's best to snip off the ones that are taking away life in order for the rest of the rose to flourish, so a pruning, if, if that happens to be the interpretation, and it could be, I don't think it is based upon context and culture and all that, but if it is, it's also an act of love from the gospel as well. Because in your, if this part of me, this, this certain part of me that's not producing, for Jesus to come and to clip it away is an act of mercy, not an act of, of cruelty to me. And I do know that he does that in our lives, that I, uh, if I'm not connected here and I'm, uh, I, I'm doing things that are, the, that are forgetting who I am in Jesus, that for him to come and to say, man, I'm going to cut this away. And you know, look, if you've ever had, you know, if you've ever had a little cut or whatever, it, it doesn't feel great. It's not a pleasant feeling, right? But if he's doing it to save you, a little bit of pain is the gospel saying, okay, but I, I love you so much that I want your holiness more than I want your comfort. And so if it is about pruning, like if the vines are, are, are not remaining in him, and then you might be thinking, and I think it's important just, just for theology's sake for you to know that when he goes on to say that if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Now if you 
have been around church at all for any length of time, it's possible that you've heard a sermon based upon those verses uh, that was used as a very scary thing, that if you lose your salvation, you walk away, whatever, that you're going to be thrown in the fire and burned. Now, the Bible is the best way to interpret the Bible, right? And if, the, if we are saved by grace, not by works, right, lest any man should boast, then that can't possibly be the interpretation of it. And what is beautiful is that it's not because he doesn't say God is going to come throw you in the fire. He doesn't like launch into the Johnny Cash song that sooner or later he's going to cut you down. Thank you. Because that's not what's happening. God isn't the one throwing into the fire. It's talking about being withered up, being thrown into. And if you have seen or been around anyone's life who is disconnecting themselves from the source of life in the vine, place of hope is full of that of people that have made some decisions and they kept disconnected from it and they began to wither up. If you've been around anyone that struggled with addiction for significant amounts of time, you know that they wither up, that they are burning their lives down. God isn't doing it to them. They're doing it to themselves. I believe with all my heart that their salvation is 100% secure, and so is yours. But you don't have to live hell on earth just to get heaven in eternity. Not if you remain in him, because real change is possible if you remain connected to the vine. And when you say remain, it's very, I mean, it just means remain. It means living in. It means, and he talks about his word, the Holy Spirit. That's why this summer is important to learn about what the Holy Spirit is and who he is and what his job is so that we can remain on a daily basis in him, connected to him. Because what he wants us to do is verse eight. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. Connected to the vine means that we will now be able to bear much fruit. And of course, it would probably be a good idea to figure out what fruit is. I know Bennett agrees with that. Bennett, we're leaving for Africa in four weeks. Reagan, is that right? Oh, it's going to be a good July. What was I talking about? (laughs) fruit. I I was just so excited. I realized we're going to Africa in four weeks. I got a bunch of teenagers that keep me young. So bearing fruit, sorry, bearing fruit, we probably better know what fruit is. Sorry, Shannon, I should have taken some medication, I'm sure. But um, what is fruit? Is it is it that, okay, they've got a lot of people saved, so they're, they're getting people saved. That's a lot of fruit in their ministry. A lot of times, ministers especially will really justify some bad behavior because they have a lot of results in their ministry, and they'll say something, but look at all the fruit of that ministry, okay? Let's let the Bible once again interpret the Bible and what is fruit. Fruit is not how many people you get saved. Fruit is not how many meals we have served to people this week in Haiti alone, which parenthetically was 3,000. Fruit is not even how many slaves we set free. Those are results of ministry, but it's not fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. 
joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against none, There's no law against any of this in any culture. But is there a typo in the scripture? The fruit of the spirit is love. Because that's plural. Are there nine fruits of the spirit or is this actually correct that the fruit of the spirit is love and that joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness is all just the description and experience of love. In other words, there's not nine fruits of the Spirit, there's one. And the rest of these are the description of it. And you're like, well, Darren, that, that's a little bit of a stretch. It's not because 1 Corinthians 13 says what? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love. I'm just using the Bible's definition of love, and that's what I think. So that when you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it tastes like goodness. It feels like kindness, right? It smells like faithfulness. It's that's the experience of fruit. And so when Jesus says, right, to uh, keep my command, and what is his command? To love. Think of the, how kind God is. Here's my command, which is to love, but the fact is, is that the command is actually going to be a fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of you anyway, which is to love. To love your neighbor as yourself, as the Father has loved me, so now I have loved you. Called. He calls us no longer servants, but friends. Because a servant, the master doesn't tell him his business. He tells us his business. He tells us everything because we are no longer servants, but we are his friends. You are cleaned, right? You are connected and you are called by your name because he is our friend. He is the same way that he loves, the father loves him, he loves us and his command is that we would love each other. It's so simple and so hard and I want to share this and then we're going to, I guess the tornado's gone so we're good. I know that there's not, because you know, you know why I know there's not a tornado out there? Because I'm looking at Mo's face. I know that if there's something to be worried about, Mo will be worried. We good. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is love. If I remain in him, he remains in me, then that's going to be what's going to happen. Now, by the way, kindness, right? That's the fruit of the Spirit. But is it kind to tell somebody that their life is upside down? Is it kind? In our little world, we have somehow mixed up the idea that if we're being kind to somebody, we can't challenge them on someplace where their life is coming off the rails. And uh, there are some obvious places where we might see that in society, but I would say that just again, going back to the story of addiction, that one of the kindest things that you ever have to do if you're married to or if your parent is an addict at some point, you gotta put a strong boundary in place. And that is very kind. To not do that is in, unconscionably unkind and selfish because I wanna manage their feelings. Now my point is, is just very simple, that love doesn't always mean ooey gooey. It means we gotta sometimes get in the trenches and love means the sacrifice that I'm making is to tell you the truth even if it makes me uncomfortable. Now, with those of us who have loved in that way, and maybe it wasn't received well, maybe you've been hurt because you put 
put yourself out there again. I loved my neighbor as myself and I was rejected for it. What is the purpose of fruit? It's not a trick question. It's food. You eat fruit. You, you take bites out of fruit. Jesus uh, is pictured in Song of Solomon. I remember how excited I was when I discovered Song of Solomon as a sixth grader. <laughs> my new favorite book of the Bible. You got gazelles and, you know. It's the word of God, man. I was like, wow. I was reading, I was literally reading this last night and I was trying to think of if I could use these like in Valentine's cards for Shannon, you know. You are a goat, you know, whose, you are, you are a goat whose teeth and hair fall down. <laughs> this is literal. But so it's a love story, but it's a picture of your faith and Jesus's relationship together. The guy, it's like a back and forth. The man in the song of Solomon is a picture of Jesus and the bride is us, the bride of Christ. And so there's this chapter and I, I should have verified. I think it's chapter four where he talks about the garden and the fruits and the vines and he's invited her to his garden. And so she's there now. And then chapter five opens up and this is my favorite part. He says, uh, it says, and then he invited all of his friends over. Okay, we're married. It's honeymoon. And now all my bros are coming over to hang out in the garden and party. And it says, eat the fruit. The fruit is not for Jesus. The fruit is for his brothers and sisters. Love each other. Disciples love each other. My fruit is not for me. It's for my fellow disciples. And you know what that means? They're going to bite me. They're going to chew me out sometimes. They're going to, if you've put your love out there and you feel like all I got in return was a butt chewing. What you really got was a fruit chewing. It's pretty good, wasn't it? Somebody write that down. And I will say this, I, if that's the case, that means that when it wasn't returned and maybe it hurt, that it was actually a part of your relationship with Christ getting chewed a little bit because the fruit that is coming out of you was being given to someone else. And if they bite back at you, that's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, that I am not always going to be reciprocated in the love that I give. But here's the best part of it all. We're talking specifically about grapes, specifically about wine. I think I said it already, but Noah, first thing he did when he got off of the ark was plant a vineyard. Grapes go far back into the history of Israeli culture and the teachings of Jesus. The first thing that they do, uh, you remember, Lynn, I think it was in the, the, the garden tomb where they had the, vine, the wine press next to the tomb that was near the Judean hills and it's where these vineyards were. The first thing that they had to do when they got the grapes off of the vine, they, they didn't have raisins yet, I don't think, so they, they, they had to get them immediately into a wine press to be stepped on. That's how wine was made. They got their feet in there and they stomped all over the fruit. 
you might have been walked all over and it hurt. And you might think, I didn't get any justice for this. Nothing fair about this at all. But I believe that the picture of fruit, specifically of wine, is that it's not wasted at all. Remember Paul at the end of his life says, my life, 2 Timothy 4, is already being poured out as a drink offering. A drink offering was the wine at a ceremony that was poured onto the sacrifice, a picture of God receiving the wine. Wine in the scripture, always a picture of joy. The joy of the sacrifice being accepted. The joy of your sins being forgiven. That's when the sacrifice was made. They would pour the vat onto that. And Paul used that example from prison. By the way, after saying, I've been, uh, nobody's loved me. I've been left all alone. Uh, nobody's here except Timothy. Go and get my scrolls. Come here back. And to, I think it was Luke who was still with him. Go get my scrolls, Timothy. Get her before winter. This guy has messed me over. This guy did that. Don't show them any respect. He had been walked all over and stomped on, but he said that my life is being poured out as a drink offering for God. He's literally about to be beheaded, right? He's about to be executed. And he's saying that that's what it means to be a drink offering, which is that my sacrifice, here's the the sacrifice, the, the wine is poured on the sacrifice, right? Not for it, but on it. So those people that Paul poured his life out, he didn't pour it out for them, but on them. It was for God, for Jesus. And what did Jesus say? That bearing much fruit is what brings glory to God, that your life being poured out as a sacrifice, your, your love being stepped on is not missed at all. It's being turned into wine that brings joy to God himself. And that, my brothers and sisters, <laughs> is the gospel. How amazing is it in our Father, the vine dresser? I have this picture in my head that I don't know if it's exactly how it is, but this last supper that they just came from, we're going to have a supper again. In fact, Jesus says, I won't drink from this vine until the day in which I come into my kingdom. And maybe part of that vine is the celebration of your life or my life, and that the sacrifice that I have poured out, he's holding up my life, my living, my sacrifice, right? My life being poured out as a drink offering, holding it up as a toast to Jesus. Well done, Jesus. You did it. You saved him. Not one person was left behind. You got them all. A toast to Darren, a toast to Justin, right? A toast to CJ, to Jerry, to Tracy. Holding up your life as like a, as a goblet of joy because the joy of the Lord, his joy, is your strength. He's called you that you might bear much fruit, fruit that will last And that's what love is. And in this world right now, I can't think of a better, more countercultural thing for us to do than to speak the truth in love, lots of love, starting with loving each other specifically. Stand to your feet.
In fact, we're going to talk a little bit about that next week because he goes right into the disciples and saying that they hated me, now they're going to hate you. So we are really in a world right now where we're experiencing that and where we're more than ever going to need to have that fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of love reflecting in our lives. Heavenly Father, might we tonight bear fruit not force it, not struggle. There's not a single vine at Arrington Vineyards right now freaking out, trying to make fruit. It's all just hanging in there. And let us be the same. Let us just hang in our branch to your vine. Remain there and let the fruit come organically. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.